All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith with your continuing coverage and analysis, the COVID-19 pandemic, the story of our lives. As we continue to focus on it for you, we got a great show coming up for you today, including it's the first of the month. Can you afford to pay your rent today? If you are a landlord, can you afford to cut your tenants some slack today? We're going to dig into the pandemic rental crunch on the show today. As always, we've got both sides of it. I'm going to speak to the head of the of BC's largest landlords association, also the lead lawyer for BC's largest tenants rights organization on the show today. So if you are a tenant, if you are a landlord, keep it locked right here and get set to call me up on the open line. I really want to hear from tenants and landlords on the show today. So I'll be opening the open lines here shortly and get set to call me up and tell me your situation. Uh, I'm here. I'm already getting a lot of emails from people, from tenants and from landlords saying, man, they are worried about what is going on here. Get set to call me up on that. Lots more on the show today as well, including we're going to take a digger, a deeper dive into the issue around work camps, around the pipeline construction going on in British Columbia. You may be aware that the work camps are still up and running. The pipe is still going in the ground in northern British Columbia. Some people want to see that work shut down during the pandemic. We've got a great panel coming up on that. I'm looking forward to your calls on that one as well. Should the pipeline construction be should be shut down during the pandemic? Also, take a look at last night's televised province-wide address by Premier John Horgan. If you missed it, we're going to play you some clips. We'll dig into the analysis of what he had to say and where we go from here. But first, let's kick it off now with the pandemic rental crunch. There was a recent survey by the Canadian Federation of Independent Business says 23% of renters can't afford to pay their rent today. Now, remember, the B.C. government has announced several measures to deal with this. Evictions are banned. Rent hikes are frozen. The Horgan government has brought in a $500 a month rental supplement. Will it be enough? What are your rights as a tenant and as a landlord? Let's check in now with David Hutniak. He's the CEO of Landlord B.C. David, thanks for coming on. Good morning, Mike. What are you hearing from landlords today? Are they are they getting a lot of uh, notices from their tenants that they can't pay their rent today? Well, we haven't uh, really had uh, a whole lot of communication as of today yet. I mean, the the day is just starting, but you know, certainly we and leading up to this, you know, we've had uh, a lot of conversations and emails, and and uh, certainly landlord BC has been uh, has been very active in engaging landlords to to help them navigate the situation. So, uh, but I can say certainly there's a lot of concern and, and nervousness and whether you're, a, you know, a, a big institutional landlord or, or a small mom and pop and, and small mom and pops, you know, form the majority of landlords here in BC. So uh, they're particularly nervous because many of these folks, you know, they have regular jobs. They're impacted in terms of those jobs, either sick or without work. And plus, the risk of not getting a the rent check, which is critically important to cover their costs to keep their own housing, frankly, is 
is uh, really uh, very unnerving, obviously. Okay, yeah, but in these extraordinary times, is it your experience and expectation that most landlords are going to be patient? They're going to try and work with their tenants? Like if a tenant comes to a landlord and says, look, I've lost my job. I got no money. I just can't pay you today. What do you think is the typical response for a t- from a typical landlord? Well, again, we've, we've been encouraging for the past three-plus weeks uh, our sector, our landlords, to be you know, sensitive, compassionate, proactive. Uh, I mean, this is a health crisis at the end of the day. Uh, certainly, you know, the, the provincial government took the measures they did in terms of the eviction moratorium and and, uh, you know, it'd be pretty hard to argue that, you know, some sort of measure along those lines wasn't uh, wasn't necessary. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we've said all along landlords need to talk to the tenants and tenants who, you know, are anticipating uh, issues here. They need to proact as well, talk to their landlord. And, and I think, you know, we're seeing uh, seeing that uh, sort of communication and, and uh, accommodation uh, unfolding. But, uh you know, I mean, at the at the end of the day, uh, you know, everybody has a responsibility here, and I think uh, from a landlord's perspective, you know, we we expect our sector to be, like I said, demonstrate that comp- compassion and work with their tenants. But uh, you know, we also know that uh, uh, you know a, a significant cohort of renters, you know, are still working, uh, you know, had had incomes that uh, would support continuing to pay their rent, and and they have that responsibility. Uh, and uh, so we're hoping that uh, that happens as well. I mean, there's there's uh, consequences, unintended consequences for everybody here. Okay, let's have a little listen to John Horgan here. Here's the premier talking about what the government is doing to help renters. Finally tonight, I want to speak to the people who are feeling unsafe, who can't make rent this month or pay their mortgage because of lost jobs and lost wages. I can't begin to imagine the stress and anxiety you're feeling. This is a very difficult time. If you've been affected by COVID-19 and are struggling to make ends meet, BC is offering you help. We're freezing rents, halting evictions, and have brought in a new monthly benefit to give you up to $500 to help pay your rent. We created a BC emergency benefit, which will give you up to $1,000 in direct financial support if you've lost your income. As Horgan talking last night on his televised province-wide address, Speaking of David Hutniak from Landlord BC, the $500 a month rental supplement, that money would go directly to landlords, right? Not to the tenant. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Uh, I think the application process should be active in about five or six uh, days. Uh, we don't know when the money will flow. There's still some uh, uncertainty here as to whether it's per household or per individual. Uh, none of that's been clarified. But, uh, I mean, we, we had strongly encouraged the province to provide uh, renter supports. We wanted to see a, a rent bank, frankly, for the entire amount. Uh, that's not what unfolded. It's a, a three-month uh, grant here, but but that's you know obviously going to help renters, and 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 um, by virtue of that, uh, you know alleviate some of the 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 stress for for landlords as how, well. How, so how would a rent bank for the whole amount work? Well, I mean, a rent bank concept basically, you know, it's a it's a, like a micro loan, um, interest-free, repayable over some lengthy lengthy period of time. Um, the way that rent banks are structured in British Columbia, you know, there's obviously their uh, repayment is is expected, but 
you know, they're structured on the basis that uh, there's an expectation there will be, you know, some uh, some uh, repayment that will not occur. Okay. And so that's something that, you know, the province, you, if they structured. What do you but, think? What do you think about the government's ban on evictions and, and the freeze on, on rent hikes? How is that going to affect your people, the landlords in B.C.? Well, the freeze and rent hikes, again, is something actually we had suggested to our sector that, you know, under the circumstances here, you know, advancing rent increases, you know, I think would be hard to hard to justify. The eviction ban, yeah, I mean, again, this, these are hugely difficult times, and, and uh, this is the route the province elected to take, and, and you know, uh, I'm not going to necessarily second-guess them, but at the end of the day, what's going to be required here is obviously landlords need to be, you know, sensitive, compassion, and try and work with their tenants, but tenants uh, need to pay the rent, and we understand it's not it's going to be a challenge for some, and, and the money isn't necessarily flowing right now from the feds or the province. Uh, but, but is, is, is it, so, like, is it your worry that there may be some people out there who haven't lost their jobs, they still got their income, they still got their jobs, but they may try to turn around and say, look, I can't pay my rent? Well, again, talking to, uh, you know, landlords, uh, I'll have to admit that has been a sentiment that has been uh, expressed, and I, I honestly don't know. I'm hopeful that uh, the people who can pay rent will pay rent. We have to pay our mortgages to keep that housing for them. Uh, this mortgage deferral opportunity, you know, is a bit of a misnomer. Yeah. Uh, it's not... Uh, it's not uh, the banks are not compelled to do it, and uh, and uh, many landlords aren't actually even being successful in in okay. securing any kind of deferral. Okay, David, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Take care. And that is why I'm asking you tonight to stay with this, to stay with us, because we need to make sure that although this is not going to be easy, it's not forever. As Premier John Horgan speaking last night in his televised address to British Columbians, not really, uh, I guess, a whole lot of news coming out of that address last night other than extending the current state of emergency, uh, which I guess is not a surprise. We Earlier we had the provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, say that she thinks that this whole fight, this whole struggle is going to potentially go into the summer. So buckle up for an emergency order that could extend here for months. I think the main purpose of the address last night from the premier was just kind of a morale booster for people, I guess, and also to double down on the message, as you heard him say there, to continue to follow the orders and instructions from provincial public health officials here to maintain the social distancing, to quarantine if uh, you're sick or returning from outside of the country, to avoid gathering in crowds, to wash your hands, everything that's been drummed into us over the last few weeks with uh, John Horgan doubling down on all of that last night in his TV address. And the message that we've heard consistently from the public health people is that this is make or break time right now, that the next two weeks are crucial in the fight against this pandemic so horgan last night interesting to uh uh, listen to him joined now by keith baldry legislative bureau chief just came into the studio a little out of breath yes (laughs) catch your breath get your breath it's okay forgot my pass i was running down the front steps of the legislature what a rookie mistake (laughs) the guards were laughing at me (laughs) (laughs) okay we're talking about horgan's uh Addressed to the province last night. As a guy, you've been you've been following this for so long. I mean, mm-hmm. how, how many premiers you covered? 
Oh, I don't know. Ten or a dozen? Yeah. Um, never we, seen anything like that. We've, we've seen provincial addresses before, but never in kind of like an emergency setting like this, almost like kind of like a, a, a wartime. Yeah, yeah. it's like a wartime address. What did you think of it? Yeah, it was like a wartime address. I mean, we're in an we're in unbelievable crisis right now. Uh, you don't have parliament sitting. You don't have legislature sitting. You've got uh, um, public health officials taking unimaginable uh, orders. Yeah. And so, yeah, the premier last night. No, no real news in the in the uh, except uh, extending the extending the emergency, yeah, order. which was sort of uh, of we knew that was going to happen. We knew that was going to happen, but it was sort of rallying the troops, uh, morale yeah. booster, uh, and again, getting everybody behind Dr. Bonnie Henry and her. Yeah. Her uh, demand, basically, that we don't gather in crowds. We keep our physical distance, as you and I are doing right now in our cramped studio. We're still yes. eight feet apart. Oh, yes. Um, and, yeah, yeah, it was an extraordinary address. Again, not because of the news value, just because of the circumstances in which it was delivered. Horgan is a good communicator. I, I know you've said that before, and I, and I agree with you. And in some ways, he's kind of, I think, over-delivered his premier, or he's exceeded expectations as a guy who... In the last election, by the way, it just occurred to me last night that if it wasn't for what a hundred votes or so in yeah. the riding of Courtney Comox, Christy Clark would be leading the province through this crisis uh, right now. I, uh, I I think Horgan, all things you know, put aside all your partisan uh, beliefs here. I think it, it can be said that Horgan, Adrian Dix, Mike Farnworth, Carol James are doing a good job. I mean, this, well, yeah. is, this is a very trying circumstance, and I think he and to the BC Liberals' credit, they've put their partisanship aside they're working with the government on a number of fronts uh, well i spoke i spoke to wilkinson earlier in the week the yeah. liberal leader and he was like hey there, there's no time for partisan bickering and political fighting here no. we're, we're supporting the government and by the way he's a doctor so he kind of knows this stuff yep you know he's a medical doctor but you know horgan i remember during the last election and i was and on the bus with horgan and there was one campaign event where he did one of these kind of hokey things and in, in someone's uh living room where senior citizens were complaining about their hydro bills and I was kind of rolling my eyes thinking like, oh, man, this is kind of hokey. Mm -hmm. But then I started watching Horgan. And I was like, I'm kind of buying this from Horgan. Like, he started to surprise me in his ability to connect mm -hmm. and and, uh, and exceed my, I guess, estimation of him as a communicator. Yep. Ever, ever since he became premier, certainly. But in the campaign, I think he started to show his, his true self. I've known him for many years before yeah. he was even a politician. I knew him when he was a civil servant and a political aide. And he's a very confident guy. He's very yeah. com um, comfortable in his own skin, and he's a very good communicator, and he's a good, very good people person. Let's I think, if anything, last night I thought he was a little nervous because of the circumstances in which he was he was doing this last night. But having said that, I still think it was a pretty powerful message. Let's listen. To, let's listen to a couple of the clips here, Keith, yeah. and a couple of them jumped out at me. Here's one that really jumped out at me. He's talking about frontline healthcare workers. I want to speak directly to everyone working in our healthcare system. You are moving heaven and earth to help people who are sick. And we know you're stressed. We know you're exhausted. And we know you're being pushed to the very limit. We know you're putting yourself in harm's way to keep others safe. And for that, you have our deepest gratitude. I think he's really on side with the public there. Oh, yeah. No, they just 7 o'clock at night. Yeah. Go, go out in your street and you'll, you'll hear the, the pounding and banging of pens. I mean, that's, it's a widespread phenomena. Where the public is showing their support through that, you know, it's, it's a symbolic gesture. But nevertheless, it seems to have been 
uh, caught up in the public because I think everybody realizes, you know, a lot of people don't realize we get these daily briefings from Dr. Bonnie Henry and she yeah. gives us statistics and how many people are in hospital and this type of thing. Well, the fact is a number of people in hospital are, are healthcare, healthcare workers, workers they're right? Healthcare they're, they're the ones getting sick, and a lot of them. And they're younger healthcare workers. Yeah. That's, that's the, the bulge in terms of where this, what demographic this disease is hitting. The youngest people around 30, 40 years of age, it's not the general public, it's the healthcare workers. And they're the ones, some of them are in hospital, a number of them are in hospital, some are in the ICU, and they're the ones who put literally their lives on the line as they try to fight this thing. Right. That's where I thought he really kind of connected, I thought, last night when he was reaching out to them and just offering the thanks to the people who are exhausted, who are putting their own health and lives on the line for yeah. the rest of us. I thought he really connected there. Here's a. This is near the end of the address last night where he kind of, once again, kind of appeals people to stick with the plan, keep fighting. Here he is. Tonight, I'm asking you to recommit. Recommit to our healthcare workers and to each other. Do your part, stay home, stay safe, and we'll bend this curve together. Thank you and good night. Okay, I thought he did. I thought he did a pretty good job. I mean, I, I thought at times near the end of it, it started to get a little kind of rah rah. Mm -hmm. But I thought overall, it was a bit of a pep talk. You know? I mean, it's not, like you said, it's like nothing new out of it really. But the message is the important message that needs to get through. You, people yeah. got to stick with this thing. There, there, there was a, a a bit of drama to the whole thing. Like you said, there was no news, and it was interesting. Yeah. You know, go, before the speech came in, we were some of my colleagues at Global kind of grumbling. We were giving up ten minutes, and there's it's what you know, it's no news announcement, blah blah. blah. But then after it was like, you know what, that was pretty, that was pretty dramatic. Um, and I think he, I think he did connect with people. I haven't seen the ratings yet, but I assume because every single night the news hour has been completely off the charts in terms of numbers. But I, w I would suspect seven hundred, eight hundred thousand people watched that last night on our sh on our station alone. And I think um, I think he got through to a lot of people. All right, welcome back. As we continue our coverage and analysis of the COVID nineteen pandemic, let's talk about how this pandemic now is affecting construction projects in our province, uh, especially some of the big industrial projects like the Coastal GasLink pipeline. Should these projects be shut down in order to reduce the spread of the COVID-19 uh, virus? In an open letter to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the BC Union of Indian Chiefs has called for the Coastal GasLink pipeline to be shut down. They say uh, they urge Canadian health officials. They say Canadian health officials have urged the public to stay home. We urge you to tell Coastal GasLink to stay home. They say that continued construction of the pipeline increases the risk of transmission of this disease. The construction, though, is continuing. These projects have been designated as essential uh, by the province. So the Coastal GasLink pipeline construction continues. The Site C Dam continues. The Trans Mountain Pipeline construction continues. The fight, though, ramping up over whether these projects should be delayed or shut down right now. Let's talk about it now with an awesome panel that we've assembled here for you. Peter McCartney is here. He's a campaigner with the Wilderness Comm uh, Committee. Peter, thanks again for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Also, Stuart Muir is on the line. He's from Resource Works. Uh, they support uh, these industrial projects in the province. Stuart, thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks, Mike. Hey, Pete. Peter, let me go to you first. What's your take on this? Do you think these projects should be shut down right now? Yeah, you know, I think as we're asking the rest of the public to stay home, to quarantine. Um, you know, businesses basically shut down across the entire province. 
Uh, and yet, you know, these, these resource development projects are still proceeding at pace. Um, you know, it's, it's just another example of how we have one set of rules for the public and one set of rules for the, the resource industry here in British Columbia. And, you know, it's mixed messages that we're sending to people. Well, isn't it about the risk, though? I mean, if the risk can be mitigated, on some, a lot of this work is going on outdoors. If you can maintain that uh, physical distancing in an outdoor environment, that mitigates the transmission risk, doesn't it? Well, we know that we've got photos from the Westridge Marine Terminal that, you know, it is very hard to follow this risk. And these construction workers are, you know, not following social distance rules. We, we have evidence of that. And, you know, to say that you can keep two meters away from one another in a man camp, you know, with almost a thousand people there. Um, I, you know, I'm not a I'm not a public health expert. I'm not a doctor. Um, but, you know, I've worked in job sites and I know that uh, when you have almost a thousand people in one area, you know, it seems very tough to be able to, to keep the distance. I saw the measures that the provincial government put out. You know, it's things like have hand sanitizer everywhere and, and have masks. I, I certainly can't find hand sanitizer, neither can the Wilderness Committee. And so I don't know how, you know, these companies are supposed to follow these guidelines. And, you know, at a time when we're really, we're asking folks to stay home, I think it's okay to press pause on some of these projects for a few months. Stuart Muir. Yeah, you know, I often go to meetings in downtown Vancouver and places like that with people from mining or energy. And at first when I saw this happen, I was kind of puzzled by it. You'll, you'll go to a meeting with mining, even executives, and the first thing that will happen is someone from the mining company will stand up and say, okay, we're going to review the safety for this meeting. Now, there you are in a office tower in Vancouver. Why do you need to have a safety briefing? But they do. They say the exits are down there. The fire uh, evacuation plan is posted on the wall. And then everyone will say, okay, let's get on with the meeting. That's a culture of safety. It's almost an obsession. And I find that throughout the resource sector and the construction sector, you get this kind of thing. So the first thing that people think about is safety. You look at Trans Mountain. I was looking at a worksite recently. They're in heavy machinery. So there's, there's one person in the cab. There's someone on the ground flagging, maybe 50 feet away. There's other people in their machines. There's a safety technician off in a pickup truck somewhere. You know, there's certain tasks where closer contact is probably very difficult to avoid. But this safety obsession culture that we have in, in construction and resource projects, I think, is, is the big part of that. What about the, what about the work camps that, that Peter flagged there? I mean, how do, you, how do you maintain physical distancing in a work camp with like a thousand guys? Aren't they crammed in pretty tight quarters there? Yeah, it, I know the rooms are small. I've been to uh, natural gas camps in northern BC. I've been to the State Sea Camp at Twin Rivers. Uh, 3,000 rooms up there in these, these uh, portable buildings. Yeah. And what blew me away there is the procedures they've got, the, the discipline, because everyone is there to work. They're not there to play. They do have some recreation for healthy release of energy, but, you know, it's, it's a, uh, a fly well, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if It doesn't matter if you're working or playing. You can still get the virus. You can, but I think their approach to it, they have got, say, you go into the cafeteria, they have uh, meal lines. I'm sure the procedures are all adjusted now in terms of, you know, food handling and, and stuff. But what struck me, even long before yeah. this, a couple of years ago, you, you'd see if you want to pick up a lunch, they, they've got bag lunches ready so people can take that meal, whether it's to the job site or to the room or what have you. So I think they're well-equipped. These are modern. I don't know okay. what people's 
you know, mental images, but these are modern, sparkling, clean facilities. Peter, what do you say to that? I mean, you, you have people from all across the country flying in and flying out for two-week shifts, um, bringing this virus to the camp and bringing it home. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that companies are earnestly trying to follow the safety measures that have been put out, but in what world is building a pipeline for a brand-new industry an essential service? Um, you know, I just I, I don't think that these companies can do the work that's needed to prevent this virus from spreading. And when we're asking people, you know, don't go to the cottage, um, First Nations are saying, you know, we're closing our borders. We don't, please don't come here because they're worried that, you know, rural and northern healthcare systems just don't have the capacity to do it and to take care of these people. Um, to still be, you know, inviting workers from all across the country just to, uh, you know, make sure that these construction projects meet their deadline seems wrong to me. And it's okay. not just me saying this. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the former uh, BC Northern Health Chief Medical Officer, it's the BC Building Trades. Um, it's often these workers themselves in the case of Elk Valley Mine. So. Okay. okay, but you said earlier that you're not a doctor, you're not a public health official, but Dr. Bonnie Henry is a doctor and she is a public health official. And so you disagree with her, right? Is that what you're saying? You, like, you know better than her? You know, I'm not trying to undermine what Dr. Bonnie Henry is doing. I think there are, you know, the chief medical officer of former Northern Health uh, is asking for this. Small yeah, town mayors are asking for this. Former. Yeah. I'm, I'm, ta I'm, talking I'm, to, I'm talking about the current medical health officer. Who's, who says this is okay? Let me let's let's listen. For, and, and, hang on, I, I need to respond to that because yeah. in every province across this country, um, the provincial government and the health officers are protecting certain industries of theirs. In Alberta, the oil sands are considered essential. In Ontario, you know, real estate construction is considered essential, and we know that. We have to do this 100%. Those are the health minister's words. And I don't think that trying to protect the pet industry um, is, is 100%. Okay, well, let's listen, to, let's listen to this. This is Bonnie Henry talking on this issue, the provincial health officer. Here she is. In terms of the industrial camps, I mean, that is something that we've been working with, uh, Northern Health in particular, um, but across the board in the north. M um, many, if not all of them, ha have gone to a very reduced staff. For, for various reasons. We don't want as many people coming in and out of the community. They've done things like extending uh, the length of time that people are there, um, going to safety staff only. I think it's important to recognize you can't just abandon a large mine or industrial site um, that's not safe. It's not safe for the community or for the environment as well. Peter McCartney, what do you say to her? You know, I think... There's no doubt that you have to keep some staff on a site in order to prevent, you know, spills or um, accidents. But there's no way you need a thousand workers to prevent things from blowing up. Um, to me, you know, this is, you know, keep the people that are, are protecting the area. Um, but meeting deadlines for construction companies just is not an essential service. And, you know, I'm not a public health officer. I don't want to try and argue against, you know, the public health officials. But what I can tell you is that we have a lot of relationships. Well, you are, in the community. You are arguing against the public uh, health officials. No, hang official. on. I'm, I'm telling you that we have a lot of relationships yeah. on the ground in these communities that, you know, I, I don't know whether Dr. Bonnie Henry has. And people are concerned about this. This is not something that, you know, we are pushing. This is something we are hearing on the ground is that people are worried about workers coming into their communities.
As we continue to cover and analyze the COVID-19 pandemic, it's the first of the month. If you are a renter, are you able to pay your rent today? So many people have lost their jobs. So many people have had their hours cut back. A lot of renters out there and a big percentage of people in Metro Vancouver rent their homes. A lot of them unable to pay the rent. There was a survey done by the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. This is 23% of tenants can't afford to pay their rent today. Are you one of those people and what can you do about it? The provincial government has stepped in uh, with some assistance that we're going to tell you about here. But let's check in right now with Zuzana Madrovich. She is a lawyer with the Tenant Resource Advisory Center, also known as TRAC. Zuzana, thank you very much for coming on. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for doing this, uh, especially today with a lot of people, uh, a lot of concern and anxiety out there. What are you hearing from tenants out there with the result of this virus and a lot of people losing their jobs and maybe a lot of people unable, wondering if they can pay their rent? Well, yeah, we're hearing exactly that. You know, we're hearing from many, many tenants who are uh, worried about not being able to pay rent because they've been laid off or their hours have been severely cut. Um, and even now that we can tell them that, you know, if they can't make April 1st rent, that their landlord can't issue them an eviction notice for that right now, um, they're asking, well, what happens when the emergency is over? And that's something that is still a problem, I think, because we can't tell them that, don't worry, you won't be evicted even if when the emergency is over, because as it stands, if tenants sort of accrue rent arrears over this time, when the emergency is lifted, we don't know what happens. It's possible that landlords can evict them immediately then. Well, yeah, that would appear to be the case. I know there's there's a lot of there's still some confusion exactly about how these new rules are going to be going to work, how they're going to be enforced, how they'll be implemented. But I'm taking a look right now on the BC government website on their assistance package for renters, and it says right that it says if you uh, if your landlord gives you uh, basically gives you an eviction notice uh, that cannot be enforced during the emergency. However, when the emergency is over then it could potentially be enforced, right? No, so the emergency order could last into the summer. So I guess your concern is what happens then? Uh, yeah, uh, what we yeah. don't want to see is a whole host of renters who couldn't afford to pay their rent throughout the emergency and built up or racked up rent arrears who then all get eviction notices as soon as the emergency order is lifted. Because, you know, a non-payment um, eviction notice is a 10-day notice. And once you get that, you have five days to pay. And if you don't pay, you basically got to be out at the end of that ten day notice. What, what's period. the al- What's the alternative, though? I mean, you still have to yeah. you still have to have an ability for a landlord to an evict evict a tenant under some circumstances, don't you? Sure, under some yeah. circumstances, and even now, um, landlords can apply for orders of possession at the residential tenancy branch um, for serious um, circumstances where there is a risk to health and safety um, and that kind of thing. So those yeah. kinds of things can still happen. In terms of being able to evict for non-payment right now, I don't think that landlords have to be able to do that. Um, I think there's, there might be other solutions, and solutions that don't involve um, tenants incurring a whole lot of debt that they can't later repay. Uh, I mean, one thing to think about is, um, you know, at this point, rather than you know looking to tenants and trying to get money out of tenants that they don't have, uh, maybe landlords and tenants can turn their eyes elsewhere, perhaps, you know, to the financial institutions. And maybe it's time for us to demand that the government can rein those in a little bit so that they take more reasonable positions regarding things like mortgage deferrals and charging interest on top of interest. 
Yeah, because uh, you know the banks got a lot of public uh, positive publicity a couple of weeks ago when they said, "Oh, we're going to let you defer your mortgage for months on end." Everybody, yep. well, that's awesome. And then you find out you go and ask for the deferral. And I've heard lots of stories of people saying, "Sorry, you don't qualify." So the banks appear to have brought in some pretty narrow, uh, yeah, rules. <laughs> My understanding is that, you know, you basically have to have exhausted everything, every ounce of savings and everything that you have before you qualify. And I don't know if banks are taking consistent positions on this either. But it is something I think that the government can, that we can ask the government to do is to, instead of asking them to play nice, demanding that they play nice. Right, because that would help landlords, right? And, and And then in turn would help tenants because a lot of landlords out there, uh, if they can't collect the rent from their tenant, well, they've got their own mortgage to pay potentially. So if they can get a break on their mortgage, maybe that helps the tenant too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, okay. you know, the small landlords that we keep hearing about who may not be able to make their mortgage payments. Well, the 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 place to fix that isn't looking at the tenants who don't have means to fix it, right? Okay. Speaking to Zuzana Madrovich, she's a lawyer with the Tenant Resource and Advisory Center. The, the government, the BC government, has also brought in this $500 rent supplement, and mm-hmm. I'm getting questions on that too, as I'm sure you are. Like, how is that going to work? How do you apply for it? Does the tenant right. apply for the money? Can the landlord apply for the rent supplement? How? What is your understanding of how this thing's going to work? So I, I'm afraid the information I have is basically the same that's available to the public, um, yeah. which is not a lot. Um, I know that the application will be done through BC Housing um, because they're sort of the best equipped to sort of administer this kind of thing, which they probably are, and that tenants will be the ones who are expected to apply for it. Um, there will be some kind of uh, eligibility criteria that we don't know what that is. And the supplement is up to $500, so there will be also some kind of calculation involved that determines how much an eligible person will get of that $500, and then that money will flow directly to the landlord. Right. Um, that, that's an important note, too, there. The money goes to the landlord, not to the tenant, right? So maybe some people think, like, ooh, this is like 500 bucks cash in my claw here for the, for the government if I qualify here. No, no, the money goes directly to the, to the landlord, yeah. right? Yeah. Is that, yeah. Are, you, are you cool with that, the money going to the landlord? I mean, it is a rent supplement, and it is intended only for rent, and right. that is where it would go. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to take issue with that. Okay, okay. Um, the criteria you mentioned, I mean, this is one of the big question marks is, you know, how do I qualify for this? I mean, do I get it if I've lost my job? I mean, what, what's your understanding what the criteria could possibly be? I don't have any. Um, yeah. I, all I have is sort of the broad brushstrokes that have been announced publicly, and that's that, you know, if you've been affected, if your income has been affected or your ability to pay has been affected by COVID-19, then you will qualify. Okay, so it. income or ability to pay. We're going to find out. I mean, the government is still, the latest information on the government's website is they're still coming up with these rules, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I have do you think five hundred dollars is enough? Will that help a lot of people? I mean, I it will do something, but do I think it's enough? I mean, only time will tell, because I, we also don't know what the federal benefits that people are going to be eligible for will look like, and how much people will be able to get, and whether sort of in concert with those and the other provincial benefits, whether people are going to be able to make it by, and that's sort of the key question. Are people are the majority of renters going to be able to make rent and buy food and buy medicine and all of those necessities? 
Or are we going to end up in a situation where there's a whole host of renters who can't do that, who end up with a bunch of rent arrears and then uh, end up in a position where they will lose their housing because of COVID-19 after the emergency is lifted, which is something that, you know, Minister Robbins and Premier Horgan both said last Wednesday wouldn't happen. Right. Yeah. You're not going to be forced out of your house because of this pandemic or your, your, your rented home, your apartment, your condo. Um, let yep, me ask that's you what about they said. that. They did. They said that. Yep. So, you yep. know, that's right. That's what they said. That's what the government is committed to here. Um, let me ask you, there's so many other sort of different facets of this thing and that people are wondering about, like, here's one, like if you're a rent, if you're renting a place, do you have to let your landlord into your unit if if they want to do repairs or they want to inspect your unit or they want to show the place if they're planning to sell it or something? Because a lot of people during this pandemic are like, well, I don't want people coming into my place. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so generally, outside of this emergency scenario, if a landlord gives 24 hours written notice for a reasonable purpose, they can enter with or without the tenant's permission. Now, with the sort of new provisions brought in yesterday by the ministerial order, um, landlords cannot do that anymore. Landlords can only enter now in case of emergency, so some kind of imminent risk to either life or property um, or with the tenant's permission. Okay. Evictions are banned, right? You can't be evicted during the emergency order, as we've already talked about. What if, when does that take effect? Like, what if you were, you got an eviction notice like last week? Yeah. So it's effective yesterday. So March 30th right. is the effective date. So any uh, eviction notices served after uh, that day are of no force or effect. And that should be that for those notices. Um, but any notices issued before that, a uh, landlord could still potentially you know, get an order of possession on those from the residential tenancy branch. However, the government has sort of made it clear that they don't want landlords to be able to enforce those orders at Supreme Court. So they may have orders of possession in their hands, but they shouldn't be able to enforce them until after the emergency is over. Okay, so what would be your advice to a tenant? Like, let's say someone got an eviction notice like two days ago, just before this thing kicked in. Would you you advise them to fight it, dispute it? Um, Generally speaking, unless the tenant intends to move out, either in accordance with the notice, so when whenever the effective date says it is, or at the end of the emergency, unless they intend to do that, yeah, I, I'd say I, I, we generally advise tenants right. to dispute it, because if they don't, then they don't really have a choice. Right, and rents are frozen. Your landlord cannot increase your rent now, correct? Correct. So uh, any notice of rent increase that was supposed to be effective either, you know, April first or any other time during the emergency, those are not effective until after the emergency is listed.